All right, yesterday we studied, um, started some studies in Psalm 34, so I'm going to ask you to turn back there, and we looked at um, the first part of Psalm 34, 8, where it says, tell me, what does it say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember, by the end of the week, you've got to memorize these two verses. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And as part of your assignment overnight, um, I asked you to journal at least one example of a time where God had brought you through a kind of a difficult trial or a difficult time and had blessed you and helped you. And what I'd like to do before we start to really get in-depth in our study is just have a couple of you guys share that um, and just tell us in a couple minutes what happened, how the Lord worked, what you learned from that. Uh, and how the Lord provided for you. So any volunteers on who wants to do that? Lynn, come on, I want you to use the mic just so people can hear it. Uh, and if somebody else is planning to come up, just go ahead and come up now. Thanks, Lynn. Okay, so as you all, you know that we adopted um, two of our children. But uh, before we started the process, we I'd always felt it in my heart to adopt. And, you know, Sam and I talking about it just outside adoption of the foster system was just outlandishly priced. We couldn't do it. So we decided to go with the foster system and we ended up with these two boys and they were like, you're going to be able to adopt them. They're going to be adoptable and long-term. And so we were like set. So for three weeks, we poured our hearts into these boys. We were like, yep, they're going to be ours. We're so excited. And they came along and just tore them away. The case manager, long story, don't have time. So Sam and I were devastated. I mean, we were like, these were going to be our kids, we thought. You know, and they ripped them away. And I, I remember saying, God, why, could, why would you do this to us? You know this has been in my heart since I was a child. How could you have done this? I thought you were with us. I thought this was the right thing. And so time went by, and they kept calling us, do you want, it? Do you want it to this child? Do you want this child? Do you want... Nope, 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 nope. And I was like... Really? No, not today, not this time. No, you know. And so they call for Jackson and they were like, hey, we have this little boy and, you know, he's available. And I call Sam and he's like, nope. I mean, and understandably so, we both were just so broken about the last time. We didn't want that to happen again. But I knew without a doubt, this was supposed to be our child. I mean, like, I felt like almost God was like, yep, this is yours. He's yours. So, I said yes. Sam, I called Sam back and he's like, when's he coming? And so we went, picked him up and I fell in love and I was like, yep, he's going to be ours. I know this. I know, like, I just kept praying, God, I know that you placed him here for our purpose. And um, last minute, this aunt shows up. Yep, I want him. He's going to be mine. You know, we're going to, I'm going to take him. And so I remember standing in the shower crying so hard that I could hardly breathe. And the only words that could come out were, you give and take away, you give and take away. But my heart would choose to say, blessed be your name. And I just sat and cried and sang that out. And I would say, maybe not even a week later, some gal that Sam knows, you know, kind of randomly through the army, she texts Sam and she's like, show this to your wife. You, you guys need to know this. I've been bugged and bugged and bugged by God tell you this the burden of your heart is going to be lightened now this gal knows nothing about our situation she's never met me even in person and we can't put it on facebook nothing so sam and i were like oh okay great thank you you know 
that's good to hear. And that very day, our case manager calls me and she's like, are you sitting down? And my heart just sank like, yes. And she says, the aunt doesn't want him. He's yours. The TPR is going to happen, you know, like this month or something like that. And I was like shouting, praise God. And I'm in a cafeteria at the hospital and I'm shouting, praise God. This is awesome. Praise God. And my father-in-law is like, what's the matter? What happened? And so I told him. And so God saw all of this. And those other boys, praise God, they went back to a Christian home. And a grandma did end up taking them. But she didn't really want them. So this, this family befriended her and was like, hey, you know what? We'll take them whenever you want. And now they're being raised because they're pretty much with them all the time in a Christian home. So God, even with those boys... You know, we were, yes, devastated, but now they're in a Christian home, and we have Jackson, and I can't imagine life without him. So, God is great. Um, my story is a little lengthy, too. I'm sorry. Um, I had been going for a while and stopped going because... It just felt so cold to me. It's like you could go there for 20 years, and if you stopped going, nobody would miss you. It was just, and so my heart really yearned for a smaller church. And a friend of mine told me about Harbor Rock, and so I started going to Harbor Rock, but intermittently, and that was probably towards the end of 2011. 2012 was my sick year. Um, I it started with a knee replacement surgery in January. In May, I was in the hospital with stomach problems. Um, at the end of May, I was in the hospital having my gallbladder out. In June, I was back in the hospital for stomach problems. In August, I had skin cancer removed. In um, September, I was back in the hospital with stomach problems. And um, at and Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving. I got the call that I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And then in December, I had breast cancer surgery. So 2012 was not a good year for me. But when I felt good, I, I still came to Harbor Rock. And um, I saw one time, I saw Scott and Donna Peterson, who I, I've known them for over 30 years. And so when I got the diagnosis of breast cancer, I shared with with Donna, and um, prior to that, I had been coming to Harbor Rock, but I, I loved the church, I loved the preaching, but I didn't feel part of the church. You know, I didn't feel like I was part of the family. After I shared with Donna about the diagnosis, it was like suddenly I had people coming up to me and saying they were praying for me, it was like suddenly I, I had a whole bunch of people coming around me, putting their arms around me and praying for me. And I had never experienced that before. So I was so grateful to God for everything I had been through in that horrible, horrible year because the end result was a church family who cared for me. And that was the blessing. more anybody else done
Yeah, God is good. Wow, that's, uh, man, it's amazing. I feel like uh, my sharing here doesn't even come close, but um, just kind of how Christy and I came to be um, here at, at Harbor Rock, I think, is our testimony that we stepped out to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, I was a pew sitter my whole entire life in church. Um, I'm a very critical heart and a very critical spirit. Um, never really stepped out in faith. Uh, grew up born and raised in the church. Um, we attended, uh, grew up in Racine Assembly, um, went to uh, Renee's brother's church for, for a brief time, and then wound up with my family up at Oak Creek Assembly of God. And uh, that's, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, it was our, kind of our routine, Sunday morning church, and uh, don't ask me to come to a Bible study. I've got things going on during the week. Uh, Sunday was a thing that we did as a family, uh, if it fit our schedule. And, um, you know, we really started, I, I personally started feeling really convicted about this. I don't, I don't know how, how it came to be, but, you know, I heard an Andy Stanley message years ago and said, you know, if you're in a church for more than a year and a half, and you're not actively plugged into that church in some form of ministry, leave the church because you're sucking the marrow out of it. And I felt incredibly convicted with that word. Like, man, you know, here I've been at this church for more than eight years and all I bring is a critical spirit and, 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 a, and a critical eye to everything that's going on. And uh, so through other means here, this is, this is a long story. I've got, a, I've got a, a talent for making the short stories longer, so I'm going to really try to redact this. But um, uh, through some clients I had at the gym that were kind of leaning me in, in, in other, and I, I felt pulled in, in many different directions. I mean, uh, I, you know, I heard this, this, this saying that God can't use a man greatly till he wounds a man deeply. And, and that was me. I, I felt, I felt kind of cut to the heart with some of the things that were put in my life at the time. And, um, you know, one particular, I think it was a Tuesday, uh, we, we, uh, um, we got rid of our TV um, years ago, and it was in, in sort of an effort to really bring the family around and, and, and at least give Christy and I time at the end of the day to really kind of, man, how are things going, and, and to interact and talk. So I remember we, we almost came to the, the, the same conclusion uh, at this particular junction. It was like, you know, uh, hey, I got something to say. Oh, no, you go ahead, go first. You know, it was like one of those, oh, you go so I, I said, hey, I said, for whatever reason, I, I feel it's, it's time to leave Oak Creek Assembly. And um, I mean, this, th that was where our whole entire family was. I mean, this was, this was stepping out of the comfort zone big time. This was going into uncharted ter ter territory. This was, uh, uh, this was not who I was, really. I mean, we, we kind of had our thing. You know, this, this was it. And, and uh, you know, just the conviction of spirit to let us that, man, we got to step out here. We got to step out. And it was... It was, uh, it was frightening. Um, uh, we, we knew uh, uh, Adam and Danny, and, and we were going to go to another church at the time, and I thought, you know, you know what? Let's check out Harbor Rock. Let's, 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 let's check this out. And, you know, I don't think we were 10 steps in the door, and there was total confirmation in my heart this is exactly where I needed to be at this point in time. I mean, I felt such a peace, and, 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 and just, you know, how we were able to, to grow in, in this church and to step out into you know, help leading some men's ministry. I mean, you, this is not who I am. This is not who I was. This is, I was very much a coward in my faith. I was very much wanting to sit in the pews on my hands the entire time and, and to judge whoever was speaking. And, 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 and you know, that, 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 was, that was who I was. My entire, my entire Christian walk was, was that mentality. And for God to call me out and say, no, you know what, I'm going to use you. And, and to not know, even know what that looked like. You know, uh, you know, to, to step to step out and, and truly taste that the Lord is good. 
you know, and then, and you know, I think it's important when I when I when I listen to that to taste that the Lord is good. You know, that display up there was so good when everybody was eating the the the, the, the cake and they, they made a disgusting face. I, man, I think I did that with Christianity. I mean, that was me. I was I was tasting this and I had a scowl on my face. And I, I remember, I mean, I wasn't attracting anybody to this. You know, when, when we taste and see if the Lord is good and He is good, Amen. Uh, I mean, for, for him to call us out and, and to take a step in faith, and that's what it was. And to give us that confirmation, there was that peace in our heart that I had never had before. But then I think it's important to take that next step and, and, and show that what you're tasting is good. And, and, and uh, I, that's what I'm eager now is to stir that up in, in the body. Man, we, we serve a risen king, man. The God is good, man. And, and, and for us to, to pretend that what we're eating is garbage... Uh, you know, I did that for years, and I wasn't drawing anybody to that. Nobody wanted to eat what I was eating, you know. But man, grab that mouthful, whatever it is, man. And show them, man. This is man. This is awesome. This is this is delicious here. So that was that's kind of our testimony, sort of in, in, in a redacted version of how we came to be here. And this has just been a, a walking testimony daily, and growing in God daily, and growing with God in the church, and and uh, man. So I, I'm 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 just as much curious to see what He's got for us this next year. But to take that step into faith, and, and uh, that's our testimony that, man, God is good. God is good, and, and we have tasted, and we've seen that. So, so thank you so much for letting me share that. You know, these are some clear experiential reminders of how God is faithful and, and sufficient. And, um, but, but here's kind of where our study's headed this morning. Believing that cognitively and believing that experientially are two different things. We can say in our minds, God's faithful and God's good and God's, God's so, you know, always there for us. But, but sometimes it takes evidence uh, and it takes going through something over and over and over again until we really get that, until we really start to trust him. And if, if you don't believe that last sentence, um, just go through the Old Testament from Exodus to Joshua, we have people who are stubborn and resistant and unbelieving. And then you go through the kings, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. What do you have? King after king after king that God starts to bless and God helps at the start. And then they turn their back on God and they lead the people away from the Lord. And then you get into the prophets and the people are taken into captivity because God's trying to get their attention and trying to wake them up that, that you need to follow me. But the people, even when they're being told directly from God through the prophets, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. The people continue to be stubborn and they don't cry out to God for help. And they continue to, to just struggle and struggle and struggle. That's the MO of mankind. The MO of mankind is to be proud and to be stubborn and to be slow to trust and to be hesitant to yield and to be overconfident in our own abilities and, and to just say, God, I don't need you. That's, that's the majority of the world this morning. God, I don't need you at all. And then when we do come to know him, it, we, we still struggle because human nature is strong, even though as a Christian, it's already been defeated. But human nature is still so strong and the devil keeps fighting that we still continue to struggle to trust a little bit. You've heard three stories this morning of, of yes, we knew what was right, but we, we just, we couldn't kind of get over that edge. Now, here's the thing. For a believer, for somebody that knows Christ, for somebody that's trusted, tr uh, trusted Christ, it should be easy for us to trust. 
It should be easy for us to say, God, you've proven yourself faithful time and time again. You've been gracious to me. I can count all the ways. You, you have indwelt me with your Holy Spirit and you've given me a renewed mind that's set on things above. So Lord, when you call me to trust, which is every single day, it should be easy. And really the bottom line is there is not a legitimate rationale for any Christian not to trust the Lord. Now I could say, well, let's think of some examples where, where we don't have to trust the Lord. But the problem is none of us could stand up and say, well, what about this? Because there's never a legitimate reason not to trust the Lord. And that's hard to hear, but that is the reality. And when you hear Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we know it, right? Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In how many ways should we acknowledge the Lord? And he will do what? He will direct your paths. Now that's a lot of definitives in one and two verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Everything about that verse is, is certain. There's no real latitude in the Hebrew language with that word all. The word all in the Hebrew language means everything in its totality. So, there, so there's no exception, there's no little side thing, well, what about this, what about that circumstance, and what about this problem? No, there's, there's no room in the language for us to say, trust in the Lord with part of my heart or in part of my situations, because those are an exception. There are no exceptions. So this verse really has, has a double meaning, and it speaks to two different groups. It speaks to everybody that's ever lived and everybody that will live to say, you need to trust the Lord with all your heart. You need to reject self. You need to reject what you want. You need to reject what the world tells you is right. You need to reject the devil's lies that tell you you shouldn't trust the Lord. And you need to trust the Lord because he's faithful and you need him. And then it speaks to believers. And to believers it says, if you've trusted the Lord, then there are no circumstances. And please hear this because it's hard for me even to say because it's applying to me too. There are no circumstances where you can negotiate your faith. There are no circumstances where you can find a reason or find some escape or find some out clause where you're exempt from trusting the Lord. We are called to trust the Lord in every single situation at every single time with every single fiber of our heart and mind. That is what we're called to do. That's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says to us. So when we talk about taste and see that the Lord's good, the essence of spiritual maturity is not to, and I thought Lynn did this so well yesterday, is not to taste and go, it's not to see it as a negative. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The, the essence of spiritual maturity is to say, Lord, I'm joyful at whatever opportunity you give me. Like Lynn talking about singing, but he gives and takes away. That's a hard thing to say because when God is allowing things to be taken away, you're going, this isn't very fun. I've still got to trust the Lord right now, but, but I'm going through complete and utter heartache. Spiritual maturity is saying, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to trust you. I know you're going to bless me no matter what. I know you're going to help me when I trust in you. And there's going to be good that comes out of this. I can't see it right now, but there is going to be good that comes out of this. Now, here are two problems with that. 
And the two problems are based on our human nature. One is that we're very tangible creatures and we love, we love control. I want everybody to say out loud, I love control. Go ahead. One, two, three. Oh, you, you didn't even say it like you believed it. You're going to say it again. In fact, we're going to shout it because we have to admit this. Ready? One, two, three. Yes, you do. And I do too. We love control. So while we want to believe it's true, that if I taste and see that the Lord's good, how blessed will be the man that trusts in him. Okay, well, all right, Lord, I believe that that's true. And while our mind tells us that it's true, our human nature fights it and says, you need to be hesitant. You need to be careful. You need to be cautious with that whole trust the Lord thing. You, you, better, you better play it a little bit safe. That's the first problem. Second problem of our human nature is there are still experiences that we have not gotten over yet. Many of us, all of us, I'm not going to say many, all of us have times where we look back and we say, yeah, I trust the Lord, but I didn't really like his leading, or that was kind of a little bit unfair, or that, that time of heartache I went through. You know, I, God's faithful, yes, Lord, I, I hear you, Paul. He was faithful on the other side, but, but I still haven't quite gotten over it. Let me tell you something. Old pain will continue to affect you if you don't deal with it. Old pain will continue to affect you if you don't do what needs to be done to heal it. Let me give you a personal example. When I was in college at Wheaton, I was in really good shape. I mean, I didn't think I was at the time, but, but I was actually wearing sweatshirts that Annie wears now. That's how small I was. I was tiny. I thought I was this big, monstrous guy, but I wasn't. I walked everywhere. Great thing about college, right? You walk everywhere. I walked everywhere because my parents would let me have a car and I'm not bitter about it, but it's okay. I didn't have a car, so I walked everywhere. I played varsity tennis. I um, practiced about 10 to 15 hours a week. Uh, I ran on a daily basis uh, and I loved running. In fact, uh, 30 years ago, it's hard to believe it's that long. I feel so old. Um, 30 years ago, summer of 86, I was running every single night at about 11 o'clock because when you live in North Carolina, it is so hot and so humid. Like the softball game we played last night, yeah, it was like that except about 15 degrees hotter with 1,400% humidity. I mean, it was so bad that I'd get out of the car to walk to the place where I'd start to run and I'd just be dripping with sweat. Well, every night that summer I ran and I continued to run. I went to Europe on a ministry trip and I was in London one afternoon and I thought tonight I'm going to go run in Hyde Park. Hyde Park's a beautiful park right in central London and I'd always wanted to run there. My hotel was right on the edge of, of the park so I thought I'm going to go run in Hyde Park and I start running in Hyde Park and I'm loving it and it's gorgeous and I'm, I'm in a great mood and about halfway through my knee started to hurt and it was so much that it was that it was kind of hindering me as I was running from, from feeling good. But I thought, you know, I'm 22 and I know everything, so I'm gonna keep going. So I kept going, kept running, and, and I, by the time I got back to my hotel, which was right on the edge of the park, I was kind of hobbling a little bit. So I, I got in the elevator, I thought, I'll be fine. It's just, you know, it's just, I tweaked it a little bit. So I get up to my room, and um, I was staying with a friend of mine from college, and, and I laid down on the bed, and within 30 minutes, I could not bend my leg. Like, I'm laying there, and I'm like, Mark, look at this. And I'm like, I can't bend my leg. He's like, just bend it. I'm like, I can't bend it. 
And I thought, well, all right, that, that might be an issue. I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to take a look at that. So the next morning I woke up and I, you know, after a while it kind of loosened up. Next morning I woke up and, and it hurt a little bit, but I could walk and I thought, all right, I just, I, I overworked it. I've been running too much. I'll take a couple days off. So we, we got to Paris and I thought, all right, I'm going to run because I got to run in Paris. So I ran in Paris and then we got to Amsterdam, which is where we we're going for this ministry trip. And I ran in Amsterdam and it still kind of didn't feel right, but I thought I'll be all right. I just need to, to, to probably be more careful. I didn't want to admit that there was a problem. So I got back home and that fall, I kind of thought, well, I, it's not really going away. The pain's not leaving. So, so I better just, you know, back off a little bit. And then I got busy with life and I started a job and, or I started seminary and I thought, well, I'm going to run some, but I didn't run as much when I lived in, in Dallas. And then I got older and I got married and I started having you know, uh, real responsibilities with work, and I started to gain a little bit of weight. And as I started to gain weight, I realized that the knee wasn't really structurally sound. When I would try to run, it just didn't feel right. So then I got older and I stopped running altogether because I had kids, and you know how it is having kids, you don't have time to go run. So then, about six or seven years ago, I lost a bunch of weight and I started to run again, and the knee felt better but it was weak it, it wasn't quite right because i hadn't gone to the one that could help the healer i hadn't done what needed to be done to 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 make it stronger so as i've gotten older and i gained some of the weight back every once in a while i'll be walking up the stairs and they'll be like ah and just kind of give out because i didn't take care of the problem my right knee's fine. My right knee doesn't have any problems, but you could say that my left knee really is not blessed with strength. And what does it have to do with any? Why did I tell you that story? Because when you look back at Psalm 34, 8, it says, how blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. How blessed is the one that goes to the one that can heal, goes to the one that can make us stronger goes to the one that can change our weakness and change our problems and minister to us in difficult times. When we go to him, we're blessed because he will help us. In fact, if you look over a couple pages at Psalm 46, the sons of Korah, who are a group of people that wrote Psalms, the sons of Korah say, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help. In trouble. Now, that's not hyperbole. That's not just some nice thought that we hope is true. It is a fact. What you guys shared this morning is a verification of Psalm 46 and Psalm 34, 8. That, that when we trust in the Lord, even when we're in a trial, even when we're difficult, even when we can't see where it's going, even where all seems to be lost, even when we're discouraged and disheartened, and, and it seems like God is not being gracious. God is being gracious. He's just being gracious in a way that might be different than we think. And what I've learned after being saved for 42 years, and I'm kind of stubborn and hard-headed, but what I've learned after 42 years in my life and in our marriage and in our family is that when we trust in the Lord, God is faithful. And the more God's faithful, the more you start to love him and desire to trust him more fully. Even in times of trouble, we always see trouble, right, as a negative. We always see it as, oh, 
oh, oh, snap, there's trouble coming now, and I don't want to go through this, and this is not going to end well. And yet, when we get to it from a spiritual standpoint rather than a human standpoint, we find out, oh, Lord, you're rich in mercy. I don't know how many times I've had said to me over the years of ministry that um, I've never learned more or felt closer to the Lord than I went through that trial. Anybody ever said that before? Oh, yeah, that was, that was a miserable time. But I'm telling you, it's weird. When I look back at it, even though it was so unhappy, I was so close to the Lord. And then I said, well, what happened after the trial? Well, I went back to life. That's why the Lord keeps giving you trials. Because the trying of your faith is to work patience. Hate that word. Trying of your faith is to work patience. And James says, let patience have its perfect work so that you might become complete. In other words, we're hard-headed. We don't learn during the times of blessing that we need to keep trusting the Lord the way we did during the times of trial. So God has to keep reminding us, you need to go through something that's going to draw you closer to me. Where control is stripped away and we either have to defy the Lord or we have to depend on the Lord. And the more we depend on the Lord, the Lord, more we learn that he is so gracious and so loving and so worthy of our faith. So let me give you the main spiritual principle this morning, and then I want to kind of bring this around and we'll draw it to a close. The main spiritual principle today is that the Lord should be the one that we are closest to and confide in in every situation. The Lord is the one that we should be closest to and confide in in every situation. Now you say, well, what about my spouse? You know, I, I need to be close to them. Let me tell you, the closer you get to the Lord, the more it will influence your relationship with your spouse. The farther you are away from the Lord, the more it will hurt your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your family. Because once we get the relationship with the Lord right, everything else becomes right. When the relationship with the Lord is out of kilter, everything's out of kilter. Like my knee. Because I had knee problems, and it actually hurts a little bit this morning, believe it or not, I think that's the Lord saying, remember me. Every time... I would run with my knee, I would compensate, so my ankle would hurt because I was trying to protect as I planted, protect my knee. So I ran differently, so then my ankle would start to hurt, and I have really bad ankles. I tore ligaments in my ankle in college playing tennis, uh, completely tore them on the left and partially tore them on the right. So my ankle's already weak, so now my knee's weak. My ankle affected my knee, probably, and my knee probably affects my ankle. And then the more you overcompensate for an injury when you run, what happens? Now your back starts to get out of line and you start to compensate for that and you're kind of gingerly stepping. So now my back got messed up. I herniated a couple discs uh, when I was 30 and they talked about doing back surgery. Everything lined up. So when one part of your life is out of line, what happens? You don't, you don't get injured in isolation. Everything else gets affected. That's what happens spiritually. If part of your life is out of line spiritually, then everything else is going to be affected. And I promise you, nothing will be affected more than your marriage and your relationship with your kids if you are not in the right place spiritually. That's why Jesus says, abide in me. And when you look back at Psalm 34, the man who wrote Psalm 34 was David, and David knew all about abiding in the Lord. In fact, David spent most of his life literally taking refuge 
Because when he was young and he was watching the sheep, there would be a predator that would come along or there would be a huge thunderstorm and David would have to take cover. He'd have to, he'd have to take refuge. And then when David gets anointed as king and Saul starts to pursue him and tries to kill him, David has to run, remember? And he's hiding in caves and he's, he knows he's the true king. He's been anointed by Samuel, but he now has to take refuge. And then when David becomes king and Absalom, his son, rebels and tries to take over the nation, David has to run again, even though he's the king and he has to take refuge away from Jerusalem. Refuge was what David learned to do. But let me tell you this morning. Refuge is not just a place of hiding and safety. Refuge is also a spiritual position of strength. See, we talk, well, I got to take refuge in the Lord. I got I to gotta hide and, and be protected. Yes, that's part of it. But refuge is always a position of spiritual strength. And let me give you a perfect example. When David goes to the camp to bring food to his brothers and he realizes that there's a nine foot giant across there from the Philistines and Saul and his men and his brothers are all sitting in the tents going, we don't know what to do because this has got to be a one-on-one -on -one battle and none of us wants to fight. David's just a little pipsqueak. He's just a little teenager. And he goes, well, well why wasn't anybody fighting him? And they, we can't, none of us can beat him. David's like, you know what? He's not going to defy my God. Let me go out there. Yeah, right, David. Come on, seriously. No, let me go out there because nobody's standing up to my God like that. And they, well, let us put some armor on you. I don't need armor. Come on, I got God. David walks out there and Goliath's like, what? What, did you send out the little kids? What, is this the JV team? Uh, what's going on here? Why'd you send him out? David's like, you just be quiet. You're about to die. And he takes the five stones, but he's only going to need one. And he doesn't cower. He doesn't say, I don't know what to do. I shouldn't have come out here. What was I thinking? He goes, you're going down, buddy. And he runs toward Goliath. Can you imagine? Swinging it, going, you're not defying my God. See, refuge is a position of strength. He had no armor. He had no sword. He had no backup, and he just had five stones. But he said, I am defending the Lord who loves me and takes care of me, and God will be my protection, and God will be my covering, because when I stand for the Lord, listen now, when I stand for the Lord, God will always bless me. God will always bless me. And he had seen that confidence throughout the years in the fields that God always defends those who stand for him. That's an awesome truth. Jesus said what? If you confess me before men, I will do what? I'll confess you before my Father that's in heaven. But if you deny me for, before men, I'm going to deny you. That's the standard. Now, are you, going to, are you going to stand for me or not? In fact, if you glance back at chapter 32, verse 7, David said, here's what I've learned. I've learned that you're my hiding place and you preserve me from trouble. David knew what it was to hide from the Lord. He knew what it was to take refuge from the Lord. This was not some nice theory. This was experiential for David. So I want to ask you this morning, and this is a very serious question, and this is where we kind of get down to us. Let me ask you this morning, what, and, and let me preface it even a little bit more. I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. 
Because this question's only for you. It's only between you and the Lord. And, and, and if we don't answer this honestly, then we can't really get to the, the roots of issues in our life. So let me ask you, what is your go-to place for refuge? What do you fall back on? What's the place where you feel comfort and protection and even, even joy and, and fulfillment? What's, what's that place look like? Is it a person? Is it a certain place? Is it a certain activity? Is it a vice that you think brings you pleasure? When, you, when you're stressed, when you're uptight, when you need some help in your life and you need some, some, some joy in, or happiness, let's put it a happiness, not joy. What's your first thought? Is it if I could only be with that person or if I could only be doing that thing or, or if I just had that, everything would be good. In other words, what's your harbor? What's your harbor? What, what does it look like? We've had the, the concept of harbor. I'll talk more about it in a second. The, the harbor is the place where the ship goes in and gets some safety and gets some refuge. So, so what's your harbor? What does that town look like? The Lord impressed us. I was reading through my notes last night, and I'm like, Lord, I just don't, I'm not feeling this for tomorrow. And the Lord put that thought on my heart. What's your town look like where your harbor is? What, what are the shops in the town? Please go with me on this because I think this is important. When, when the ship comes into port and you're, all right, I need some refuge. I need some strength. I need some refilling and refueling. All those words that we think about with harbor. The place kind of to restock and get some fresh fuel and some renewal and to feel stronger again. Because I'm stressed and I'm uptight and I'm in trial and I'm in crisis. So I need to go to this place. I'm calling that our harbor. What's your harbor look like? What are the shops? Is it, is it, there are a bunch, there's, there's a couple huge malls in your harbor because when you are stressed, you need to buy, you need to gather, you need to get, you need to get material things. That's, that's what makes you feel better. Or are there just 19 bars in town? Because when you are stressed and you need refuge and you need strength, you're just going to go to your vices. Or is there a bunch of X-rated movie theaters? Because when you need, when you're stressed, you need to look at something that's unholy and unhealthy. What, what's in your harbor? What are the shops lined up there? Or is it all just churches? Because when you're stressed, you say, Lord, you're my refuge and my strength. You're my very present help in times of trouble. So when I need to take refuge, I need to go to you. That's a very serious question. And that hit me in ways that's never hit me before because the concept of the harbor is very dear to me now. When we named the church in 2010, we, we talked and prayed and thought about all kinds of names. I still got the list of all the names we were considering for the church. And the one night, and I've told you a story before, I can still remember I was sitting on my couch in the den. My wife was in the kitchen in the hallway and she said, what about Harbor Rock? And I said, okay, that's kind of intriguing because we're in a harbor town and we've always liked the concept of the rock because the rock Jesus. And she said, the harbor is the place where you, where it's your refuge. You restock and you refill and you refresh and you get renewed and you uh, come back to your relationships. And I thought, that's it. That's, that's the right word for this church because I believe that's what the church is supposed to do. So the word harbor to me now means a whole lot. So I come back to what's in my harbor. What's in my town? When I come in for refueling and refreshing and refuge, where do I go? 
If the answer really, and I mean this very seriously, is not the Lord, if we can't say with integrity, I go to the Lord for refuge and strength, then we will always be weak. We will always be weak and we'll look to things that we think bring us joy and pleasure, but they're only temporary. It will only solve it for a moment. So we've got to evaluate what is there that I'm taking refuge in. And I want to tell you, the more time you take refuge in the Lord, the more joy you'll have, the more things will make sense, the more you'll have confidence, the more the other relationships in your life will be lined up in the right way. Everything will be right. And when you come to the Lord and you wait on him, what does Isaiah 40 say? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their what? Tell me, their strength. So when you come to the Lord for refuge, you wait on the Lord for refuge. I've always viewed that as just, all right, those who wait upon the Lord, I'm taking it literally. That means I just need to wait. I just need to sit here and wait, have faith. Lord, help me have faith. I just need to wait. I just need to be, to be here. But I think it goes much deeper than that. I don't think it's just tapping my foot with my arms crossed going, come on, Lord, ready for you to work, ready for you to work, ready for you to work, ready for you to work. Waiting upon the Lord is just being in his presence. No rush, no distraction, no phone, no computer, no, I've got to go get something to eat. No, no distraction. I always find, I'll tell you this, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. On Saturday night, I gain about two pounds every week. Because when I'm studying the Bible and I'm preparing for Sunday morning and kind of doing my final prep, you know what the devil does? He needs something to eat. You need to, you know, you're, you're kind of tired. You go get something to eat or, or go watch 10 minutes of the game just to, just to kind of get your mind going so you can think a little bit better or, or go see what the kids are doing or, or maybe you should go, I don't know, just, just go lay down for a couple minutes and just relax. You, you're so tired, Paul. Just, just get some rest and, and maybe 15 minutes of sleep would be good. Oh, you know what? You're hungry again. You, you probably should get some more food. And I'm just like in the cabinet, like there are, chips, there are chips there, which there can't be. I'm eating Pringles because I love Pringles. Pringles are so good, right? I'd stack three or four together at once. Just, oh, man, so good. All right, you need some ice cream. You get some ice cream, maybe some soda. Would be, and all he's doing is distracting me. And I'm learning as I get older, just stay in your seat and study. The devil will put all kinds of distractions. He'll bring all sorts of things that say, you don't need to spend time with the Lord. You don't need to get renewed. You don't need to get refreshed. But the Bible says to us, take refuge. Sit still. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I'm God. Let's finish. Psalm 34.8. Look at it one more time. We're going to pray. How blessed. How blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. How do we usually define blessing? God's giving to me. There's a whole section of Christianity right now that's saying God's gonna bless you by giving to you. God's gonna bless you. You just say the right word. You just think the right thing. And God's gonna overload you with a boat and with gifts and with big houses and with blessing. Blessing is always kind of defined as what do we get? You know what? The Bible doesn't define blessing like that. 
It doesn't define blessing as I get to receive, I get to receive, I get to receive. It says blessing is not being self-sufficient. Blessing is standing in the strength and sufficiency of the Lord. So I may trust the Lord and it may not tangibly benefit me, but it's going to benefit me spiritually. It's going to benefit me by gaining patience and endurance and strength and confidence. I may get nothing out of it. In fact, the Bible says when you trust the Lord, you're going to go through difficulty and people are going to oppose you and they're going to criticize you and they're going to stand against you. But James says, count it all joy. Why? Why? Why would I count it joy when I go through trial? Because I'm going to learn that God is sufficient. When we get to the individual devotions this morning, and, and maybe this is throughout the day. I don't know if we'll have enough time to do all of it. But there is, there is a part of the individual devotions that say, what are the areas of my life in which I'm not taking refuge in the Lord? And I promise you, those areas are going to be places of weakness and insecurity rather than places of strength. We've got to evaluate, and this is not on the sheet because the Lord just gave it to me last night. But I, I want you to think about this. What are, the, what are the shops in my harbor? If you Maybe if you don't deal with any other question today, spend some time with the Lord and say, Lord, I've got to bite. What are the shops in my harbor? And what does that say about where I am with you? And I may need to tear down. I, I may need to do some demolition. And I, Lord, I'm going to need your help because I don't have the strength to do this. So I need you to come in with the demolition company, Lord, and I need you to tear down. The Bible says it's called tearing down strongholds. I need you to tear down these things that are controlling my life, and we need to rebuild. And when we do that, God will bless us beyond imagination. Let's pray.